Christians. I want to talk about something tonight. Welcome, by the way. I'm doing well. Thank you, Brother Lino. I want to talk about something tonight that some of you are going to not like. And I don't want you to think that all I want to do is talk about things that people don't like. And that all I'm trying to do is arouse people to be triggered over things that I think they may not want to hear. But these things have got to be said. And I am not going to be one that stands before God, at least I don't want to be, who does not communicate things that are needed for the advancement and the growth of God's church and ultimately the glorification of his son. Now, here's what I want to say. Here's what I want to say. One of the first things, one of the first things that Christians often ask other Christians, and you, you will all be familiar with what I'm about to say, but one of the first things that a Christian will ask another believer that they have met for the first time or had their first encounter, they will ask the question, what church do you belong to? What church do you belong to? Where do you go to church? And then, if you answer the question, or someone answers your question, they will go into, well, what do you guys believe? What do you believe? There was a time where if you asked a person what their beliefs were, or I should say, if you asked a person what church they went to, you would often know what they believed. Because generally speaking, Old school churches, they told you what they believed. You knew what they believed based on the name of the church. For example, <clears throat> if you said Episcopalian or, or St. Mark's Episcopal Church, you would know based on what Episcopalians believe what that person believes if they go to that church. Same thing, it can be said with the name of a church having Baptist in its name or congregational in its name. My point is this. When you ask a person what church they went to, 
Often what they believed was in the name of the church itself. But it wasn't until the early 1900s where a new denomination has had been given birth. And that denomination is non-denominational. Here's what I mean. Now, when you ask a person what church they go to, they'll tell you, they'll tell you something like, for example, the Living Way or Church of the Pine Woods or something like that. Some generic name which has no indication whatsoever as to what this church or the person who attends this church believes. And when you ask a person who goes to a non-denominational church, they tell you with a great deal of pride that their church is non-denominational. Make no mistake about it. There is nothing non-denominational about a non-denominational church. In fact, I submit to all of you that when you say your church is non-denominational, non-denominational is a denomination. It is a denomination. Now, here's what I'll say. Non-denominationalism is more or less a rebranding of the Armenian creed, not Armenian in the sense of the ethnic people, but Armenian, A-R-M-I-N-I-A-N. Now, I also believe in and I want an opportunity to get you to understand what I'm, what I'm trying to point out here. Non-denominationalism, so far, number one, I submit to you, is a denomination in and of itself. So, it is also a, it is a Protestant costume for Catholicism. Non-denominationalism as a religion, as a denomination, is the costume, a Protestant costume over Catholicism. In other words, non-denominationalism is another form, another form of Catholicism. It is a rebranding, a repackaging of Arminianism. That's all it is. And when they speak so proudly about belonging to a non-denominational church, the reason why they, they're so proud about it is because they feel that being non-denominational is going to make them more attractive to those who want no creed. You see, the identifying factor 
that unifies all non-denominational churches is that they have no creed. No creed. What they actually believe is vague. They have no doctrine. They take pride. They take pride in not adhering to or discussing doctrine. And they like the idea of by saying non-denominational in a sense that somehow that throws everybody off the scent of what they believe so they can do and practice their customs. In Catholic Church, in Catholic Church, you have infant baptism. Infant baptism. And you have other aspects of Catholicism, like the mass, where these rites are needed to be observed in order to be constituted a believer. So in Catholicism, for example, you have infant baptisms, which doesn't save anyone. But they teach you that infant baptism is what saves you. You also have the mass, the mass, which is the the pre, the pretending that that those who partake are actually partaking of the actual body of Christ and partaking of his actual blood. This is referred to as transubstantiation, although most Catholics today know little of what that means. Also, you have the confessional. Catholicism has the confessional where the, there is the belief that when you go and, and confess your sins to a priest, that that priest has the authority to absolve you of your sin. So let's take these three things, for example. The mass. The priestly confessional. The infant baptism. And let's look at what is done in what we are referring to as denominational churches or non-denominational churches. They have replaced infant baptism with baby dedications. Baby dedications. You have a newborn baby or you have, you know, your young child, you bring this child to church and they do a ceremony where they do, they, they dedicate the baby. And it scratches that Catholic ritualistic itch of infant baptism. They have, the non-denominational churches have changed the infant baptism to a baby dedication. By the same token, you have in the Catholic Church, confessions, absolutions by a priest. Well, non-denominational churches 
have their equivalent, which are referred to as altar calls. Altar calls. They call you up to the front at the beginning, at the end, or the middle of a service, randomly, and they ask you to come to the front to say this prayer after the, the pastor. And by saying this prayer of faith, in response to their, to their altar calls, they declare you saved. They declare you saved. By going up to that altar call, you have responded to the call to be saved. How is that any different than the absolution that comes by making a confession to a priest? You're answering the altar call of a pastor. And by attending upon this altar call, responding to it, you are thereby designated and believed to be a believer. Deemed to be a believer. Now, I have rarely, in terms of communion or the mass, let's say, I have rarely seen a baptism take place in a non-denominational church. Now, I know that they do them. I know that they do them. I know that they hold them. I know that for a fact. But what I'm saying is, this is not a, a it is not as serious as it is, for instance, as it would be in a Baptist church or a Reformed church, Reformed Baptist church, or let's say a Seventh-day Adventist church, even though I don't hold to that particular uh, denomination. I don't think they're biblical, but what I do believe is that they do understand the importance and the significance of baptism. They acknowledge what it's supposed to be. But non-denominationalism, let me make it very clear. When somebody tells you that they are non-denominational, that is their denomination. That is their denomination. And what they want to do, they want to escape the need to have to explain any deeper than that I know that Jesus loves me for the Bible tells me so. That is about the extent of their creed. Jesus loves me for the Bible tells me so. This is pretty much exhausts what you will learn in a non-denominational church. Now, as I said earlier, the, the, the earmark, the main point of non-denominationalism is not to have to subscribe to a creed, meaning that they don't want to be involved with dealing with doctrines. They don't want to deal with election. They don't want to deal with 
the perseverance of the saints. They don't want to deal with these these themes that are lofty, yes, but necessary in order to enhance the assurance that the Christian ought to have. Non-denominationalism leaves so much uncertain for the believer. And it's a shame. But as I said earlier, the 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 non-denominational churches they want to get away from understanding the whole counsel of God. Now, but here is what they do believe. Here's what all of them believe. That is, they believe that man is not totally depraved. They don't believe that man is totally depraved. They don't actually believe in their, in their theology that man is dead in sin and trespasses. Even though they will read the verses that speak to that, but in practice, they don't believe it. Because they say that you come to Christ through an exercise of your free will. You're not dead. You're not totally depraved as the Bible teaches that you are. You have the freedom of choice, the freedom of will to come to Christ. And that Christ cannot save you unless you exercise your free will to be saved. Which means salvation is your choice and not God's choice over you. This is Arminian theology. This is Arminian theology at its core. Men are not dead. They are just merely sick. Not dead, not totally depraved. Just sick. They have just enough left within their frames, their spiritual frames, to reach out and lay hold of Christ. And they, re, and they proudly tout the notion that individuals have a free will. And they conflate, they conflate free will with choices. Free will and choices aren't the same. The will of man and the choices of men are not the same. The will of man is what is that which gives him a bias toward his choices. Choice and will aren't the same. The will is what determines what you choose. The will and what the will chooses emanates from the nature that supports or is the root of a person's will. Choice has nothing to do with man's will. Choice is only the outcome or the end result 
of the will which is biased by its nature. So if you are by nature a sinner, it is impossible for you to choose righteousness and to choose Christ. The Bible teaches that all men are dead. Dead. There are no divine impulses that makes a man lean toward Christ. The only way that those leanings come and that those desires come is when the Holy Spirit lays hold of the soul and drives that soul to his knees in repentance and seeking a remedy for his sinful condition, which can only be found in Christ and cannot be understood until you are in Christ. The next thing that the, that the non-denominational person believes, the non-denominational person, person believes that there is no such thing as unconditional election. The Calvinist completely believes in unconditional election. Why? Because that is what the word of God teaches. Whether you call yourself a Calvinist or not, I prefer to just be a Christian. But what I do know is that the word of God makes it very plain that those who are saved are those who were unconditionally elected, chosen, foreordained by God to believe in him. And in due time, that person will come to faith. That is what the word of God teaches. The non-denominational Christian, the Christian of no denomination, believes that you are not unconditionally elected to salvation, but that salvation that is that when you exercise your free will to come to Christ, Christ then afterwards, God afterwards chooses you. So in other words, you exercise your will in the order of salvation first, and then God chooses you after you exercise your free will. This teaching is a lie. But that is what non-denominational churches believe. That God sees that you are going to choose him and then chooses you. So in all actuality, it is you who conditionally chose God, not God unconditionally choosing you. When the fact of the matter is, we are all foreordained to salvation those of us who believe. No one who is not unconditionally elected to salvation will be saved. Not one. Every person who is unconditionally elected to salvation, chosen by God the Father to be in Christ, every one of those souls will be saved and will come to faith. Those who are not chosen before the foundation of the world will never come to faith and God does not have to thwart their will in any way. He simply allows them to go down the path of their own supposed freedom. That's it. 
This is what non-denominational believers believe. Next, atonement. Atonement. The Bible clearly teaches that Christ laid down his life for his elect people. He died for specific souls whom God the Father gave him to redeem. And he came to earth in human flesh to redeem those whom the Father gave him to redeem, whom God the Father chose to be in him before the foundation of the world. Christ did not come here to save any more or any less than those which the Father has given him. And there are none who will be lost of whom Christ came here to redeem. As I have said over and over and over again in previous posts, every single person that Christ has died for will repent from their sin and bow to him in humility and, 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 and they will obtain the salvation that he secured for them. They will be given a robe of righteousness. Every single one of them. There will be no one in hell that Jesus Christ died for. No one. No one. Think about what that means. And here's something else I need to point out to you. If, if God the Father elected souls to salvation from before the beginning of the foundation of the world, if he did this before the earth was created, if God did this and the Bible tells us that he did, the idea that Christ would seek to save more than those whom the Father has elected is an absurdity. What I am saying is very plain. Christ did not die for every single person. He died for all of those for whom, of whom the Father gave him. Go read John 6. Could not be plainer. Could not be plainer. Read John 6 verse 44. Read John 10. Christ says himself that he laid down his life for his sheep. Christ is the one who said that on the day of judgment, he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. If all are his sheep, then where do the goats who are separated come from? Christ said he's going to separate the wheat from the tares. Did Jesus Christ die for the tares? No, he did not. In the parable of the, of the, the master who left his vineyard over to his, over to his servants, he gave one five talents, one two talents, and he gave one one talent. The one that had the five and the one that had the two, they multiplied what they were given. To the one who had the one, he buried it in the ground. And Christ said, take away what he had and give it to the one who had the most. And then he said about those who buried what God has given them. He says, bring them here 
set them in front of me and slay them. These are my enemies. These are my enemies. Christians, these are hard saying. Somebody says he died for all those who choose him. This is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. If God says, if the word of God says, and it does say, God has chosen his people from before the foundation of the world, meaning there was no choice because they weren't created. They had no will. God knows them who are his. And he gives them life. They don't give themselves life. He gives them life. Christ laid down his life for his sheep. Christ, according to Paul in Ephesians 5, it says that Christ laid down his life for his church. For his church. Not the synagogue of Satan. For his church. There are two families on this earth. Satan's children, Christ's children. Satan's family, Christ's family. Cain's family, Abel's family. Jacob's family, Esau's family. The wheat and the tares, the sheep and the goats, the righteous, the unrighteous. I don't know why some of you have a hard time with this. You have a hard time with God being God. We have a hard time understanding that he can do whatever he wants with us. And he cannot be accused of being unjust or unfair. So many people have said, well, if God sends people to hell and saves some, that's unfair. No, it's not. He himself said, I will have compassion on whomsoever I will have compassion. And I will have mercy on whoever I choose to have mercy on. That means that he is under no obligation to pardon anyone. He's under no obligation. Those who belong to the non-denominational churches, they believe that God has to be fair according to the standards of men. If God is ever, if God were to be able, and he's not, but if God were to be able to be accused of, of being unfair, it wouldn't be with the condemnation of the wicked. It would be with the salvation of the righteous. Because none of us who are saved deserve salvation. So if God were ever unfair, it would have nothing to do with those who he, can, he damns to hell. But it would have everything to do with those who are saved. God is not required. God is not obligated. God's hands are not tied. It is God's hands are not tied in any kind of way. He does not have to save anyone. In fact, if he were to be perfectly and absolutely just, all of us would perish. All of us 
would perish. But he has chosen to exercise compassion. He has chosen to exercise mercy. He has chosen to exercise grace, unmerited favor. And if you chose salvation, if you chose Christ, if you chose him before he chose you, then the salvation you have, he owes you. It is not a matter of grace. He is required to give it to you. If you can muster up by your free will the requirements and the attainments of salvation without the divine influence of the Holy Spirit, God would owe you salvation. So everyone who says that their salvation is a result of their choice doesn't know what they're talking about. And hopefully you might be saved in spite of your erroneous thinking. Nobody who is saved is saved because of their free will. You are saved because God, the Holy Spirit, effectually worked himself into your heart and soul and showed you the darkness that prevails over your eyes. And he enlightened your eyes and allowed you to see the sinner that you actually are. You cannot see or understand that you are a sinner unless you are made to see. He has to give you, he has to give you ears to hear and eyes to see. He has to give it to you. Salvation is all of grace. It is an absolute work of God through and through, beginning to end. That has nothing to do with what you do or what you think or what you believe. No amount of mental acuity is going to bring you to salvation. Very few people who are considered geniuses on earth end up becoming believers. Very few. Very few. The word of God teaches us that the Lord has chosen the foolish ones of this earth to confound the wise. There are those who believe that they choose to exercise their will for salvation and that God is obligated to now save them because it's their choice. Non-denominationalism is an evil invention. Now, some of you, I'm sure, go to quote-unquote non-denominational churches. And I'm not suggesting that all of you who go to these churches aren't saved. But I'm, what I am saying is this. Non-denominational churches have no creed. They don't emphasize doctrine at all. In fact, many of them consider themselves the preschool of Christianity. This is where you come and learn your ABCs. And the one, two, threes. But they don't want to deal with algebra. They don't want to deal with Advanced, advanced theological themes. The other thing that non-denominationalism believes, the non-denominational churches, they believe that the Holy Spirit cannot work in you unless you allow him. They believe 
that the Holy Spirit cannot work in anyone's heart unless that person allows him. Imagine that. Imagine believing that you cannot be saved by the Holy Spirit unless you allow him. And then you get these non-denominational people who are, who are always telling you, quoting Revelation 3, when the Lord says, I stand at the door and knock. And he take that to mean that he's standing at the door of every man's heart. And that is not is what is conveyed. Christ doesn't stand at every door. Christ does not knock on every door. Because I can assure you, when Christ comes to your door, salvation is the next thing that happens. You do not allow Christ to save you. You do not permit God the Father to elect you to salvation. You do not allow the Holy Spirit to come into your heart. Yet this is what denominationalism, non-denominational churches teach. These, te these churches that teach these things have no problem with letting you go and just believe whatever you want to believe. These are among the worst churches on the earth. Think of this the next time somebody, you, you know, you ask somebody what church they go to and the first thing they start boasting about is how their church is non-denominational. Non-denominational churches is Protestant costume on a Catholic. That's all it is. It is a rebranding of Catholicism so that it can reach a larger group of people who don't care about doctrine. The problem with Christianity today is that it has abandoned, abandoned doctrine. And you got these people going, I don't want to talk about it. We don't talk about religion. We don't talk about religion and politics. Putting religion and politics on the same level. Christians, let me tell you something. If there is anything that needs to be talked about everywhere all the time, it is that Christ came to save sinners. And all that is involved, all that is involved, we are expected to be students of the word of God. The Bible tells us, study to show yourselves approved, approved a workman that need not be ashamed. But the non-denominational churches are like the Catholic churches. Come to Christ and then that's all you need to do. Just know that Christ loves you. That's it. Don't go learning all that other stuff. This is, a, this is one of the chief characteristics of Catholicism. Don't read the Bible. We t we'll tell you what to believe. We will tell you the truth. This is the same thing that happens in non-denominational churches. 
If you talk to somebody who goes to a non-denominational church, you will have the most shallow conversation about biblical themes that you ever had because they don't talk about anything. They have no creed. They have no doctrine. None that they will talk about anyway. One thing they love to talk about. One thing they love to talk about is the tribulation, the millennial kingdom, and, and the, you know, the future. And they think themselves to be experts on this. Another thing that, that, that characterizes them is that they consider themselves um, uh, charismatic agnostic. In other words, that all these so-called gifts that we know have already gone away. All these miraculous gifts, they secretly hold that those gifts are still happening today. I have never seen any non-denominational church that doesn't, on one, from one degree or another, embrace charismatic and Pentecostal themes. They believe that they are receiving words of knowledge. They believe that they are healing the sick. They believe they are casting out demons. And they're not doing any of it. They're not doing any of it. Again, I am not addressing the individuals. I'm I'm I am addressing, I am addressing the general of non-denominationalism. Make no mistake about it. Non-denominationalism is a denomination. They act like they don't have any dividing, any doctrines that divide people. And so they made it so that they can open the doors and have anybody come because they won't they don't want to talk about things that will lead you away. They don't want to talk about things that will lead you away. Non-denominationalism is the kind of thing that they don't want to talk about it. Now, I know as I said earlier, that rubs a lot of people the wrong way. But I'm going to tell you the worst thing that non-denominational churches believe. And for those of you who are commenting about non-denominationalism, let me ask you this question. Can you lose your salvation? Because every non-denominational church that I know about, that I know of, is that you, they believe you can lose your salvation. There you go. They believe that you can lose your salvation. And I'm going to tell you something. That is the biggest lie that can come out of any pulpit. That is the number one biggest lie. If any person who calls themselves a Christian, tells you that you can lose your salvation, they are anti-Christian. They are anti-Christ. They are moved by the spirit of anti-Christ. 
All those people who preach that you can lose your salvation. I have seen people on these social media platforms that they make it their primary concern. Their number one thing. To tell people that you can lose your salvation. And it's an absurd notion. It is a lie straight from the pit. Let me ask you a question. For any of you. For any of you who believe that you can lose your salvation and that you tell others to. I have a question for you. We are told in the scriptures that the angels, that the angels of God. They rejoice and celebrate at the repentance and the salvation of every person who comes to faith. I'm sure all of us know this. All of us have read or heard that the Bible teaches that the angels rejoice over every new soul that comes to Christ. So to the Christians, the so-called Christians who are out there telling people that they can lose their salvation, what do you know that the angels of God don't know? Because if you could lose your salvation, wouldn't they be celebrating prematurely? Because the Bible tells us that the angels celebrate when Christians come to faith, when the Christian repents from their sins. So my question to all these people who say you lose your salvation, how do you explain the angels celebrating prematurely? So I guess that when you become a Christian, they celebrate. And then when you fall away, they go like, oops, we made a mistake, but you got it right. Think about how silly it sounds to believe that of all the things you could come up with and that, that, that goes contrary to the scriptures. You would choose to believe and to teach that a Christian can lose their salvation. This evil teaching is the one I hate the absolute most. Telling Christians that they can lose their salvation is the most hateful doctrine ever taught. Because it means that there is something about what Christ did what God the Father did, what the God the Holy Spirit did that failed. And the angels got it wrong. Think of it. The angels celebrate when a person comes to faith, when a person repents from their sins. The angels celebrate. So if you are going to be saved later, if you're going to be saved today, and the angels celebrate today. And then you lose your salvation tomorrow. The angels got it wrong. But these two bit armchair theologians that we see come on social media, they know better. In their teaching that you can lose your salvation. The fact that the very angels celebrate when a person comes to faith tells you. That there is no way that a person who is actually saved can lose their salvation. Think about that for a second. 
Anyway, the idea that a Christian can fall from grace, that can fall from grace, is the most wicked of all teachings that bear no foundation for truth out of the word of God. There is nothing in the word of God that can teach that a Christian can lose their salvation. I can understand if you have a problem with election. I can understand it. I can understand if you have a problem with depravity and the extent of it or the heinousness of it. I can understand certainly if you have a problem with the effectual call. I can understand to, to a large degree those of you who have a problem understanding the atonement and who it's for. But one thing I cannot understand is how any Christian could believe that once you come to faith in Christ, that that salvation can be lost. It undermines the very meaning of the word salvation. Salvation is eternal life. Salvation is life. So when you come to Christ, if you, that means you've been given life. So if you lose your salvation, then you lost that life. And if you lose that life, it wasn't life. Why is this so difficult? It's bewildering. It means that what Christ did wasn't enough. It was almost there, but it wasn't enough. There was a few sins that when Christ took upon took upon his our sin upon him, there's some of your sins or some of somebody else's sins that it didn't quite cover when he when they came to him. And here's the saddest part of all. Think about the people who are telling you that you can lose your salvation because they believe the people that that the people that are telling you you can lose your salvation are people who believe that they have it. Those who are telling you this believe that they have salvation. But the sad part is this. They also believe that they can lose their salvation. That's not the saddest part. The saddest part is, is what it takes. In other words, if you can lose your salvation, then the reason why you maintain it is because of what you do, not what the Holy Spirit is doing. Keeping you saved, Christians, is the work of the Holy Spirit. Keeping you guarded from sin and death is the work of the Holy Spirit. Keeping you in understanding God's word and advancing in your understanding of the word of God is the work of the Holy Spirit. Keeping you desiring to pray is the work of the Holy Spirit. Keeping you saved is the work of the Holy Spirit, not you. We are sanctified by who? The Holy Spirit. Those who tell you you can lose your salvation believe that you are really sanctified by the exercising of your will. 
It was your freedom of your will that got you saved, and it was the freedom of your will that keeps you saved. When in fact, that is not true at all. That is the biggest lie in the Bible. You are saved by God through and through. God the, Holy, God the Father is responsible for your election. God the Son, responsible for your redemption. God the Holy Spirit, responsible for your regeneration. There is no other God or part of God that's involved with some other aspect of your salvation. That is you. You believe that you can save yourself, then you don't need God. I don't, I don't understand how so many Christians miss this and think that you're doing God service by telling people that they can lose your salvation because you're trying to motivate them to upkeep their will, keep their will moving in the right direction. Isn't this what Catholicism is all about? Continue to keep coming to mass. Keep, continue to keep coming and confessing your sins to the priest. These churches, these quote unquote non-denominational churches, when you fall away, when they see members of their church fall away, they have rededication ceremonies. This person is rededicating their life to Christ. The dumbest thing I ever heard. Rededicating yourself to Christ. Services for rededications. When all you have to do is repent and turn to Christ. Make no mistake about it, Christians. Non-denomination is a denomination. Non-denominationalism is a denomination. Again, every one of these churches is different. Every one of these non-denominational churches, they're different. They adhere to certain things and they don't, hear, they don't adhere to other things. But the point is, that is the problem. That is the problem. The lack of consistency, the lack of biblical consistency. That is the number one problem. Ask a non-denominational, somebody who goes to a non-denominational church, what they believe about the atonement, what they believe about the perseverance of the saints, what they believe about election, what they believe about coming to Christ by their own free will. I guarantee you, it will all, they will all tell you the same exact things that I'm telling you that they, that they believe. They believe the gifts of the Holy Spirit are still around today, the way they were in the Apostles' Day, in the Apostles' Days. They will tell you that your salvation is the result of, your, of the upkeep of your will. They believe that you need to allow Christ to save you. You need to allow the Holy Spirit to save you. You need to allow him to save you. If it, is, if it is the result of your will, the freedom of your will to get to become saved, 
then how is it that we waste time teaching the law of God, which is designed to arouse people to realize that they have, they have offended God. We teach the law of God to use it as a, re, as a mirror so that the sinner can see his reflection in the law of God and have that reflection reveal to them that they are sinners. It's non-denominationalism is the setup. Non-denominationalism is the setup for apostasy. It is the setup for apostasy. It is the setup for the strong delusion that God is going to send to people so that they will believe the lie. If you don't know the truth, because you don't feel that you need to talk about these things, how are you going to be prepared for the strongest and the greatest of all delusions? The problem with non-denominationalism is that it extracts from it any need, desire, or want to discuss creed. They have no creed. And it's a shame. It's a shame. You know, one of the things that you will find in a non-denominational church, generally you will find more often than not that one of the principal reasons that so many people love to go to non-denominational churches because they love the music. It is the music. The music is one of the most attra the biggest attractions to a non-denominational church. And almost all of them are big on music. Huge on music. I've been to non-denominational churches in the past where the, the amount of time that they play the music is longer than the sermon itself. Non-denominational churches, you'll know them because one of the big selling points is the music. They will tell you how great their music is. You'll love the music. You love the music. Another big attraction. Another big attraction in non-denominational churches. They can turn anything into a ministry. Anything. They have the dating ministry. They have the basketball ministry. The volleyball ministry. They have the cooking ministry. They have they they will call they'll call anything a ministry other than what that which is really a ministry. I they have a mass, uh, this big non-denominational church in Hollywood, California. And is and it's especially designed for those who are in Hollywood, those who are aspiring 
actors and actresses and musicians and comedians. And you go to these churches and you can try your material out on the church. Comedians in church. Doing their skits. Doing their doing their thing. And we see the same thing happening. You see the same thing happening. Um, uh, even on social media platforms. People trying to be trying to trying to get their music careers going off, going on, using, you know, considering this ministerial. Christian skits, Christian comedy, Christian music. It's an outlet for people to do what they wanted to do in the world. But they come over on the other side and want to use, want to bring that over. Let me, let me tell you something. You can be, you can be singing about God and it has nothing to do with your salvation or saving another soul. Like one sister put it, it's all about them getting their fame. I have been accused by several people of being on here doing what I'm doing for some financial benefit. As God is my witness, I can tell you all of you, I have not made a single solitary dime. Nor do I seek it. Nor do I care of the number of followers as such that that I that are listed on my profiles. The way I see it to be honest with you, if I start losing followers, I feel a little better because I know that the majority of the people in Christian circles can't stomach the things that I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about God's unconditional election. I'm going to talk about Christ atoning for those whom God the Father has elected. I'm going to talk about the total depravity of man, not the partial sickness of man, not the partial Death of man. Man is dead. Dead souls in need of salvation. I'm going to talk about the irresistible call. When the, when the Spirit of God comes to you, salvation is imminent. Salvation, the, 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 Christ, the, the, the Holy Spirit does not approach any man or woman without saving them. That's an impossibility. When he comes, you submit. He breaks you. Remember when you came to faith. Remember how broken you were for your sin. Only the Holy Spirit does that. It's not the will of man who does that. I'm going to tell you that all about the fact that throughout the scriptures, God has only ever taught that when he saves you, it is immediate, it is absolute, and it is permanent. So, the more I hit on these things, the less likely I'm going to amass massive numbers of followers. I don't care about that. God has called us to make fishers of men, to, to teach others so that they follow him. I don't want anybody following me.
I want no one following me. I want to point every single soul to Christ. Because even if I get something wrong, and it happens, he will set it straight for you. And he will set it straight for me. It would be ridiculous of me to come on line or to go into a pulpit or whatever, to go up there with the expectation that what I'm going to be teaching is a lie or is wrong. I don't talk or say anything that I don't believe is true from the word of God. And God help me for any any time I say something that is wrong. And if any of you correct me and can point it out where my errors lie, I will publicly come out and acknowledge that correction. But my point in saying this is that I want all of you to understand my job, your job, is to lead others to following Christ. I don't need followers. And those who do follow on on social media platforms, I'm grateful, but I hope that you are looking that you are following because you feel persuaded in things that maybe you did not understand before. That's my goal. In any case, believers, I want to say this last thing. When you hear someone talk about belonging to a non-denominational church, you need to know what they're saying. They are saying that we have no creed. We will not be pinned down doctrinally. We're going to bob and weave from the truth. But we want to say enough to keep you there. So you will find much entertainment going on in these non-denominational churches. You'll find the music to be extravagant and grand and big. You found the, te- the preaching to be light and fluffy. Give you sweet tooth, gives you cavities. You will find a lightness in the doctrine. They won't go deep into anything. You'll see them glaze over difficult things. This is not something that we should be doing. You will find them telling you, telling people, come to Christ, and then you need to exercise your freedom, your free will to continue in him because you can lose that salvation. It goes on and on and on. But what I want to point to you is this. Whether you go to a non-denominational church or you meet somebody that goes to one and they, and they tell you that they go to a non-denominational church, probe a little deeper, dig a little deeper and find out if these things that I have been telling you that they hold to are true. Because I can assure you they are. As I said before, they are, they are, it, it, it is a rebranding. Non-denominationalism is a rebranding of Catholicism. It is Catholicism in a Protestant dress. 
That's all it is. Catholicism in a Protestant dress. Soft, light, breezy, no substance, none at all. They will not talk about doctrine at all. So it is incumbent upon each and every one of us to search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. Seek Christ while he may be found and learn of him for he is meek and lowly in heart. Learn. Don't be satisfied and content with what you know today. Tomorrow, when you learn something more, don't be satisfied and content with what you learn tomorrow. Keep striving, keep seeking to learn more and more about what, what's going to, because these things are going to help solidify your understanding and strengthen your resolve to obey and, and to exercise humility and to know your Lord and Savior. Be married and sit at the feet of Christ like she did. Martha was always busy. And Christ told Martha that Mary chose that better part. Do you choose that better part? Be provoked, be persuaded, and may God bless you all.